Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to the EM360 podcast. I'm Richard Steenan, Chief Research Analyst at IT Harvest. I write books about IT security. I work with the IT security technology providers on their go-to-market, and I'm a trusted advisor to VCs and private equity firms. IT Harvest is an industry analyst firm that covers over 3,600 vendors in the industry. Today, I'm joined by Philippe Botari, who is partner at Excel, and we're here to discuss how generative AI is driving investments in data security. Welcome, Philippe. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because all we hear about lately is generative AI this and generative AI that. Um, so it'd be great if you just kicked us off by, you know, what is generative AI and describing, you know, the changes that have happened in the AI space recently. Sure. I mean, AI has been around for for a, a long time. I mean, it has been uh, many companies have been using AI technology. I, I think the the big change that has happened in the past couple of years is that we have moved from predictive AI, which is basically leveraging a limited set of data to kind of try and predict what how these data uh, are going to trend in the future, to generative AI, which is basically now using a lot more data to invent the, the, the future. And, and this is really a paradigm shift uh, for AI, and this is a paradigm shift for software, because now every single piece of software that's going to be produced is going to incorporate some form of um, generative AI. And if I look at you know, the impact of AI in the enterprise, um, you know, we really, Axel recently released um, the 2023 Euroscape, uh, which is an overview of what happened in, in, in the cloud world in, um, in the past year. And you know, as you can imagine, there was a big focus on AI. And in the, in the report, we think that there are three big areas in the enterprise that are going to be impacted by generative AI in the near future. The first one is enterprise automation. As with generative AI, you can automate a, a set of processes that are a lot more complex. You're basically moving up the stack of complexity in processes. Um, and that's you know, expected to deliver a huge you know, value to the enterprise in the coming year. The second area is media production. Like with generative AI, everybody has seen it. You can now generate media, great media, great quality media at a fraction of the cost. So we expect you know, big eco economic impact of that. And the third area is cybersecurity. Because um, AI, um, I mean, wh when you talk about AI, you're talking about massive amount of data. So you need to see, well, how do you protect this data? And how can you use AI actually to protect, better protect this, uh, this data? So, um, you know, when you think about cybersecurity and AI, there are two different aspects of it. There is one, how AI is going to help you better protect your assets. And there is another aspect of it, which is how can you protect the assets that are going to be used for generative AI? Um, and if you look at, so there are several areas that are going to be, you know, impacted, but data in particular is really at the center of the problem. Uh, and that's why, you know, I would expect, 
you know, Journey AI to have a, you know, huge impact. Yeah, and it seems that the, even though there, I've talked to a, a dozen startups that are addressing the issue with, um, you know, protecting your data from the AI uh, models, right? It's like, I don't want to expose, like, um, who was it in Singapore that said, well, we don't want our employees exposing our internal data to OpenAI or BARD or any of these large language models or the organizations behind them. Um, but isn't that kind of a non-starter? You know, it's, you know, building large language models is an, it, it very expensive, takes years, and they're not like immediately incorporating your data just because you're accidentally releasing credit card information into the model. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I think, at, at the heart of how JAI can deliver productivity in the enterprise, right? I mean, if you look at the, the models and ChatGPT uh, and BARD, et cetera, I mean, these models are trained on internet data. So they're valuable for a lot of use cases, which relies on publicly available data. But if you look at the work that an enterprise is doing, a lot of uh, of this work is based on data that is proprietary to the enterprise. And therefore, to be able to leverage, uh, take the most advantage of these large language models, you need some, you know, you need to be able to integrate your proprietary data in it. Uh, and, and that can be in the prompts, that can be retraining, that can be uh, changing some of the, the weights um, of the, the open source model to adapt them to your data set and, and, and use cases. But you will need to use your internal data and you need to do it in a way that is, that is safe. Um, and so the question is, how do you do it? I mean, the, uh, at the heart of it, you know, first, you need to understand where your data is. Um, and I think if you look at the, the trajectory of enterprise infrastructure in the past decade, I mean, we have seen we're in the middle of cloud migration. So all the data is moving to the cloud. And um, so in many ways, it's a lot more efficient. Uh, but in other way, it is also so efficient that it can create, you know, inefficiencies in some extent. Like, you know, with... Um, with the cloud, any developer can start and create a data store, use it for a test, an application, and forget about it. And then you have this phantom store with data, and no one knows that it is uh, there. So it is important for, first, for companies to really have the right tool to understand where is your data in the cloud and have a very granular understanding of what type of data is in a specific data store. I mean, is that PII data, so proprietary uh, personal information data? Is that um, data that is accessed, uh, whose access should be restricted to only a specific number of employees and type of, of employees, level of employees in the company? So you need to be able to have a very deep understanding of what data you have where before being able to use it. And, and that's where I think to, to my point about AI helping security, because now using generative AI tools, you can use these tools to actually better understand what, um, uh, what the, the data is in your, your, your data store. 
Got it. So AI becomes a force multiplier, especially in that classification, right? Deciding it's relatively straightforward to find data stores, but to actually understand what's in them can be can need a human or an AI to do that. Yeah, I mean that's the part which is um, you know super important is be able to understand in a very granular way what what data is in your data store, and then when, when once you understand that, then you can start uh, to be able to use the data that you want to use in the model you want to use with the right access level. Um, and, and so having this layer of kind of cloud data security installed before you start any AI effort is going to be really critical uh, because otherwise, you know, you're going to pull data into your model. The model is going to spit data. Employees are going to put data in the model and, and you actually don't know where the data comes from, where it should go, um, and, and that can re-amplify the, the problem. Yeah, yeah. Now, could a, a, could a generative model, like a large language model, um, help us plot out the remediation? If a particular data store's got critical information in it, can we, uh, you know, kind of automatically, programmatically, at least suggest the ways to protect it, or in the future actually uh, impose controls that do protect the data? No, I, I think this is, a, this is a very interesting question. I mean, a lot of the data security posture today, um, you know, is defined uh, by rules that, you know, the company put in place. And the question is, can you evolve these roles to be more dynamic and for them to be dynamic, you, you, you mean they need um, to be based on pattern, usage pattern, access pattern, and that's where AI comes into play. So yes, I, I do believe that the use of AI is going to be able down the road to have a more dynamic security posture based on whatever can be observed by the system on um, kind of the usage and access of the, the data over time. And, and, and just to give you uh, an idea of where these go, I mean, if some data, you know, maybe super sensitive data, but hasn't been accessed in five years, I mean, there is, uh, you know, there is a suspicion that this data may not actually be so sensitive, right? Because a lot of it may have changed or be obsolete. And so you're not going to have the same security posture as if the data is very recent, being used uh, uh, and accessed regularly by applications that are in production. So that, that just gives you an example of how kind of dynamically you will be able to adapt, you know, the security posture around uh, your data over time. Right. Yeah, there's kind of a half-life to the usefulness of data and therefore the criticality of it. Did uh, help me understand the difference between using a proprietary model like you would get from either Google or uh, or OpenAI um, or through, through them, Microsoft, and the open source models where you can just have the whole model yourself and the only costs would be compute costs but not charged by somebody. Is, does it make sense for a vendor who's starting to apply these 
generative AI to its uh, tools and processes and making that available to customers. Does it make sense for that vendor to use the open source models versus the expensive models from OpenAI? I think it's going to really depend on the use cases. Um, there, um, and when I say use cases, there are different elements to take into account. And there is an element of what is the data that needs to go in the prompt? Is that data sensitive? Can this data leave your organization? Um, what are the consequences if there is a breach around this data? So I think that is you know, one of the key security factor is really understand what goes in the prompts of the model. Um, and you know, if this data is very sensitive, then of course, if you want to use a proprietary model, you need to really understand how is your data gonna be uh, protected in, in that use case. Then there is a second aspect, which is just more like how complex is the use case that you're addressing? Is that use case, does this use case require the most uh, powerful models like a GPT-4 or actually can you do this exactly have the same or even better output at much cheaper cost by using uh, a model that is not as powerful. Um, so I think that is kind of a, a second level. Uh, and then there is a third level which is how uh, how much work do you need to do on this model to uh, potentially retrain it with proprietary data from your, your company. And I think when you start going through these three different levels, then, um, then you'll have two options and either you can go with um, a private model or you can go with an open source model. I mean, if you go with a private model, especially OpenAI, when you know offered by Microsoft, everything is in Azure, so it's gonna be integrated in your cloud environment if you use Azure. Uh, so it's gonna be much easier to get started uh, but on the other end, you're going to have a lot less control than if you use your own, uh, not your own, but if you use an open source model uh, where you, you can go much deeper into, you know, kind of potentially adapting the weight, uh, retraining the, the model and have a much, you know, more control environment to run it. But of course, if you do that, you need to set everything up yourself. So that's going to you know, require a lot more work on your side. So I, I think for different use cases, we'll see different solution. And as has always been the case between proprietary software and open source, there is, uh, there is a case for both. And it's not that one is going to win and the other one is going to lose. I think they're going to coexist uh, in the future. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, let's talk about compliance because you know, I think so far, in the 21st century, this has been the century of uh, data privacy regulations, um, and and GDPR, of course, kind of leading the way. But all of those regulations were formulated and put into effect in a world that was pre-generative uh, AI. What do we, you know, what do you see happening now? It, will the compliance requirements kind of adapt to the new world, um, or or is, are they just going to throw their hands up and give up because we got you know these models that probably have some uh, PII in them buried somewhere, but not necessarily exposing it? Yeah, I, I think um, to first, um, I think it boils down to the first point I was making, which is you really need to understand which data you have and where at a very granular level. I, I, I think this is something that is now a must for 
every um, you know single enterprise. Um, but so to to tackle the the problem of compliance, I mean compliance, I would say, is never adaptive. Compliance is always a layered cake. Like compliance never goes away. You know they just add more layers uh, on one on top of the other. So it's always more complex, always more expensive. I've never seen any level of compliance being taken away or replaced. Um, and so what we're seeing with generative AI is now like on top of all the all the regulation around data privacy, you know, with GDPR uh, in Europe and, and the equivalent load in, in the different states um, in, in the US, um, you know, there's been a first layer of compliance uh, that is actually a, a you know pretty high burden for for the the, the companies and, and to do that well they need to have the right you know cl- cloud data security and, and compliance tools um, I think with AI what we're seeing is just another set of compliance requirements being I mean developed as we speak um, so the the UK is is hosting uh, this week in Bletchley Park like the kind of AI security summit. Uh, there's been the EU AI Act. You know, has been the first draft have been communicated with, you know, of course, companies sending a lot of comments. Um, in uh, you know, in the US, um, I, I think the um, uh, Biden just issued actually yesterday a first uh, level of compliance around um, the big LLM models and just with a requirement for the government to really understand what kind of data has been going into this model to train them to make sure that they cannot be used to create uh, any form of biological weapons or uh, or other, um, you know, catastrophic scenarios. So we're already seeing this happening. And I think that as the technology matures, as AI, Gen AI application are used in production, we're going to see more of that um, in, um, you know, in in the coming 12 to, um, to 24 months. Yeah, it's going to be a good time for lawyers and regulators. The uh, speaking of lawyers, there's also the the you know civil side of things where uh, content creators are suing the large language model producers uh, for violating their copyright somehow, which is going to be interesting to see them uh, attempt to prove that. Um, so back to GDPR, which has you know, kind of uh, institutionalize the right to be forgotten or the right to erasure, uh, which I, I think will still make sense. You know, if somebody's records are, you know, available uh, in a large language model, the, the provider could just have a, a rule that doesn't allow you to, to ask for that particular record. Um, but do you see them having to, you know, go back and, actually extract things from their models do the the heavy work that would take yeah i i don't um i don't know to what extent um i mean this is really feasible i i think to me the the number one thing is making sure that the data is not part of the trading model um, um and and that is i i think the direction that the um I think the regulation is taking. I mean, if you look overall at the regulation, there is a, a lot of it is targeting what is the input going, um, you know, into the model, 
and the other side is trying to understand um, when there is an output of a model, how do you know if there has been intellectual a breach of intellectual property, right? Uh, I, I think these are the, the two big direction that the legislation is going. And I'm not sure that there is yet an you know, entirely clarity of what is the right level of compliance um, you know, required, um, especially on the second point, which is the intellectual property. Like this is, this is a real world, right? I mean, everybody, there's a ton of lawsuits about companies saying that another company has copied something. Um, and, you know, in, in the case of technology, you can say, well, okay, where well, are you using that technology? Like, are you bridging a patent or, or not? But in the case of anything that is more visual based on design, then it, it becomes, you know, a lot more fuzzy, right? If you're listening to uh, all the songs of the Beatles and, and you do, uh, you create a song that's going to be inspired by the Beatles, like at what point is it plagiarism versus being inspired? I mean, like, this is where it starts to be very hard. And I, we're going to have the, exactly the same problem with AI because instead of being a human generating something based on all the, his personal experience and learning, it's going to be an, an AI. Uh, and, and so the question is, how can you make sure that the model uh, always stays in the clear and you know stays can use the data to be inspired but not uh, for plagiarism? Wow. Thank you so much, Philippe, for answering a few questions, but introducing a lot more questions that I'm sure we have to think about in the years to come. And thank you to everybody who uh, joined us today. We uh, appreciate the fact that you are listening, and we hope you take a lot away from today's podcast. For further information on what we've talked about, head on over to Sierra.io, the data security company. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com.